everybody, and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know. We are a podcast about the classical world, which means books, philosophy, all sorts of old things, the occasional painting, the occasional door. We talk about all sorts of things, and... Uh, I just want to say, those door yeah, episodes are good. And you, you know? brought up the door this I time, not us. Not I us. did, I did. They're great episodes. <laughs> my name is AJ Hannenberg, and I'm joined, as always, by my compatriots, Graham Donaldson. Hello. And Thomas Magby. Hi. And today we are discussing garden warfare, which is <laughs> funny because we were actually just discussing peppers yes, and true, how true. peppers can make themselves yeah. so spicy to defend themselves only to find that we enjoy that more and eat more of them. So garden warfare, that's what we're that's all about right. today. We're back on another, the long, long in the tooth trilogy <laughs> that is the Plantagenet. You know where long in the tooth comes from? No. Isn't it? I think it's horses. Oh, horses, their teeth get long. And yeah, then... that means he's, he's old, oh, okay. old horse. There you go. I think. So, boys, all right, we're back. So my question for you is, what do you remember from last episode? Oh, my, you know the answer to this. Come on. Henry V married. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I remember that Clifford died. No, that was nope. like three episodes ago. Okay, so we, there, that guy who, um, he was the lover of the old queen. Yeah, got Owen killed. Tudor. Oh, Owen yeah, tu- and Queen went bananas. Owen Tudor got killed from the old queen, yeah. Um, so we had where, uh, Margaret mustered up the biggest army from the North that she yep. could get. Yes. And everyone in the South is kind of scared of it cause they're crazy Northerners. And she beat Warwick at the second battle of St. Albans yep. and got her King back. Mm-hmm. And so like mopey dopey Henry the sixth is like, Hey honey. And, um, she, you know, bloodlust in her eyes wins her husband back from the battle. But there's also a young strapping kid that's, right. that's like got his own army and he's out there lynching people that's up in right. the north for no reason. Edward the uh, Fourth, Edward, Earl of March, whose dad was killed last episode, Duke of York, becomes a new Duke of York. And then he, um, the queen couldn't bring her massive army to London because all the southerners were scared of it. And so she had to kind of like figure out what to do. And while she was figuring out what to do outside of London, the Earl of Warwick and Edward, Earl of March made it to London, and Edward, Earl of March, crowned himself Edward IV, King of England. Hasn't been coronated, hasn't been anointed, but he's been, but Parliament was like, yes, King of England. So now we got two kings. Henry VI, who's getting older and is definitely not interested in being a king, he, and then all of this whole bloody conflict is because he's been such a weak king. And he's now basically, you know, in the game of chess, like the king can't do anything. Yes. Now you got, this is a Henry VI. He's just there and he kind of just gets moved around the board every now and then. And the queen's the one that's really going and doing stuff. Um, and Henry VI is king. And then you have Edward IV. And Edward IV is tall and he's handsome. And he's now, he's like 19, 20. And he's this giant, he's won battles. He killed Owen Tudor. And, ever, and, on, and he's Yorkish. And all the people of England are kind of cool with the Yorks, even though they love Henry VI, but they don't like the French queen. No, they don't like her. She's French. Um, but but you, now you've got kind of like a bro king. And people like bro kings more than they like like uh, monk kings. It's just a fact of nature. Fair. Um, and so you got a bro king, and he and Warwick now have to settle with... Um, uh, 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 Margaret and her northern army once and for all. So he gets becomes king. Um, Warwick is beside himself happy. And think of, imagine being in Warwick's position. You were basically the right-hand man of the Duke of York. And then he died. 
and now you have helped get his son to be crowned king of England. Warwick eventually earns the nickname the Kingmaker, mm. and for a couple of other reasons, as will come up later. But Warwick is sort of like the cool uncle, and now there's this like 20-year-old kid who's been given all this power, who is an able commander and a, war- and a warrior, who idolizes you, Uncle Warwick. He's not really his uncle, but idolizes him. Warwick is feeling like the most powerful man in England. He probably probably is. Mm-hmm. So Warwick and the Bro King go and they get their army and they start to march north. Meanwhile, Margaret has her northern army and, um, and they meet um, at just south of the city of York. Now, if you remember, in the city of York, the head of the Duke of York is on a pike, on a pole. So the 20-year-old kid is going to get his dad's head off of the walls and he is bringing his army north and he's king and he's going to go fight another king. Now, Margaret in her wisdom realized that she was not going, she and Henry VI and the Prince of Wales, also inconveniently named Edward, were not present at the battle. They were in the city of York waiting to hear what was going to happen. Um, Margaret wasn't at the battle because she had given command of her army to young Somerset, and we'll describe who Somerset is in a second. And the king wasn't at with the army because, well, it's Easter. And the king didn't want to be, uh, king's like, it's Easter. We have church to go to. Um, and the battle ended up, uh, ended up taking place on Palm Sunday, and Henry VI was at church the whole day. And so he didn't even know what happened at the battle until the end of, at end of it, and we'll discuss that in a second. So he's not there because it's Holy Week. She's not there because she's given command of the forest to the Duke of Somerset. Now, what do you, do you guys remember who the the old the OG the old Duke of Somerset was? Do you remember who was he, he the guy was? that got locked in the church? Nope. No, he's the one that almost took over. That's right. He was gonna he was he, he was trying to help the king. Yes. But it looked oh, like he was okay, invading. I got it. He was Margaret's closest ally, and his death at the first Battle of Saint Albans was when everyone was like, "Ooh, dang, we're killing people." Right. Like that's what we're doing. And so his death was the one that spawned a lot of the bloodshed and really escalated everything. So his son, also now uh, the Duke of Somerset, is young, and he is in his 20s. And the King of England, Edward IV, is in his 20s, and they're both commanding these armies. And, you know, the Duke of Somerset's father was killed by the or Edward IV's father. Edward IV's father was killed by the Duke of Somerset's Queen, Margaret, and, you know, so now you've got some grudge. This is a massive grudge match. Okay. And this is the big buildup to the Battle of Teuton. I'm going to describe uh, the battle. I'm going to give you some logistics of, like, the battlefield because it's really important and it's really fascinating how this battle played out. So um, some people have said that over 100,000 men took part in this battle. That's probably an exaggeration, but the chroniclers at the time said that Margaret or the Duke of Somerset, so the Lancasters, had who were on the defensive, they had about 60,000 crazy northerners. And the Edward IV had about 48,000 troops, including some French Burgundians who the Duke of Warwick convinced, hey, man, you should come over from France. France is in a rough spot. You should come to England. We're going to have a fight. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> France the French this, like zut, uh, yeah, absolutely. At, at, yeah, by all means. Um, uh, France was in a rough spot. The old king who was nearing death 
um, was, I can't remember, I don't know much about the French uh, medieval history, but what I do know is that while the War of the Roses is going on, France has basically been left to um, go to seed. The king was real bad. And it got to the point where, like, some of the biggest problems in France were how do we take care of the wolves, Hmm. right? Like, there was just so many... Um, uh, uh, administrative problems that you didn't even have enough men at arms to deal with with packs of ravenous dogs and wolves. So France is in a pretty rough spot, and uh, which will become important later. And so these Burgundians go and they're going to fight with Warwick and um, and uh, Edward the Fourth in this battle. Okay. So leading up to this battle, uh, in, it's in March, so it's around Easter time. Um, the Lancasters, so that is the old, the Henry VI, Margaret's team uh, side, they were on one side of this river, and the Duke of York was on this other side, uh, sorry, the, the uh, Edward IV is on the other side of this river. And both kind of realized that if you were on, so the Lancasters were on the better side, because if the battle was going to take place, if like Edward IV had to ford the, the, the water to meet the Lancasters, he was going to be in a bad position. And so what the night before the battle, Edward IV sent like a crack team of commandos to go and take this bridge. And if they could take this bridge, then Edward could um, march his army across this bridge and be in a better position for the morning of the battle. So the crack team went. Um, Edward, the, the crack team split in half. So some of them went to the actual bridge and another uh, commando set went, like, forded the water and went to the other side of the water to try to, like, surround the bridge on, on both sides. Um, and the bridge was guarded by our man Clifford. Mm. So if you remember Clifford, Whoa. Clifford's dad was the guy that died the first, the first battle mm-hmm. of St. Albans. Right. And Clifford the son was the one that rode down Edward IV's brother, and killed him in the battle that Richard, Duke of York, was killed at. Right. That's so, right. Didn't he say something super cold? Yeah, su- super cool. It was like, you know, you're dead. You know, you killed my parents. I'm here to kill you. And it was like real awesome. Um, and then That's like, pretty awesome. And stabbed with a, what was the kid's name? I can't remember. It was like Richmond or something. So he's uh, he's holding this bridge. That's right. So Clifford, Just him or him and some buddies? Him, him, and, him and a small, you know, and troops are holding this bridge. Um, and Is it bad that I'm imagining them as stormtroopers? You can totally imagine them as okay, stormtroopers. So they're, they're trying to get this bridge. Um, um, Clifford sees them coming, crosses the bridge, and um, uh, stops them from taking the bridge. Oh, except it was a trap! Uh, because then the guy's, from the guy's coming from behind, trapped Clifford. Mm. And Clifford, when he thought that he had secured the bridge, um, uh, to realize that he was having that was a trap. And uh, let me just read what happens to you. What happens to Clifford here? Um, da, 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 da. um so, um, uh, Clifford was bested by this old warhorse general named Falk- Falkenberg. Um, so Falkenberg, Falkenberg was actually the Duke of Warwick's uncle. So old man Falkenberg bested Clifford by like sending his troops across the water. And here we go. Um, Falkenberg rode with deadly mounted archers beside him, and they stalked Clifford's men, eventually ambushing them at dusk near the village of Dittingale. When Clifford removed his metal neck guard to drink a glass of wine, an arrow, mm. an arrow hurtled through his throat, killing him instantly. The Yorkists then fell on the rest of the par- party, slaughtering them where they stood. 
the great showdown for the crown of England had begun. Mm -hmm. So Clifford is like, thinks he's taken this bridge. He's like, all right, lads. Uh, let's, you know, like suit up for the day or like he's taking a oh, big... So he, he like fought those guys off? Did they run off? He or? fought them off and he didn't realize that Falkenberg was behind him. He took off his armor. Oh man, what a day. Drinking a glass of wine. Yeah, arrow right through the neck. Mm. And um, now, so then the Yorkists think, hey, we captured this bridge. Um, but then um, uh, as they were going to claim the bridge that they thought they had captured, the Lancasters just destroyed the bridge. Mm. And so they, like, wrecked the bridge and destroyed it, and then uh, the Edwards forces were trying to build a bridge, and it just wasn't going to work. So the battle the next morning... Well, did they have explosives, or did they just spend some time they, with some they axes? They just, like, axed it down. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. That's a great question. Are they, it's, it or they have attached the same... to their horses or something and just, like, pulled the supports out? Okay, because I was going to say it doesn't have the same sort of, like, immediate mm. fanfare that blowing it up, like, don't come yet! Chomp, yeah, no, chomp, no. Chomp, they, chomp, yeah, chomp, just, chomp. Wait. Wait, hold on, chop, chop, <laughs> Almost chomp, there, chomp. halfway through. <laughs> You'll um, rue the day! Chomp, chomp, chomp. Um, no, they destroyed the bridge in such a way that the army couldn't pass it. So the day started for the Battle of, of, of Teuton where... Um, the Lancasters, yeah, not not Tootin like uh, with the radish, but like uh, <laughs> thank you. Uh, no, like, no, no, the gnat, the gnats, the gnats, Teuton. The Lancasters are in the best position. I'm going to describe the battlefield because it's very important. So, picture in your mind like an aerial view map of north, south, east, and west. Okay, you've got two armies: one in the north, north facing south and one in the south facing north. So they're facing each other on the on the, the yeah. vertical axis. Okay. Facing, okay. Sure. They're both on hills. In the north, facing down, if you're going to use that map in your mind, mm -hmm. facing down is the Lancasters. And they are on the taller of the two hills. Mm -hmm. And then the York army from the south facing north, they're on a smaller hill. And... Um, and if on the if you're looking at the north if you're looking at it as a map on the left hand side so the western side of the map is a river this river that we had been that uh, Clifford died for the night before um, and on the eastern side of the map is open plains so the land where, where are the pe are the people are on the side of the Yorks at this point um, I mean there's people Does on both sides matter? but like people in the south like the like the Yorks and okay. people in the north were like we like messing with the south. <laughs> and uh, yeah, okay. Um, and so the Lancaster army is in the is in the, the the better defensible position. They're on the taller hill. They can shoot their arrows farther. And if you're if they're going to win the day, the Yorks realize they need to march from their hill and march up the hill to attack the Lancasters on their hill. This is this is what everyone thinks now. Um, the, if, for the Lancasters, if you're standing there looking at the army at the other side of the on the other hill. To your right, immediately to your right, is the water. So your right flank is protected by this water. No one's going to attack you from that side because they can't, they can't attack you. And on your left is an open plain. Um, but this wasn't the case for uh, the Yorks in the south. So if you're, in, if you're the Yorkist looking north, on your left is no longer the river. The river has kind of veered further west. So you kind of have an open western flank and you have an open eastern flank you're kind of vulnerable from both sides and you're on the shorter hill which means you've got to march this is why it was a worse defensible position so what the lancasters did is they sent their cavalry on the western side are we, are we still tracking mm -hmm. they sent their cavalry on the western side of the yorkists so that at some point in the battle the cavalry could attack 
the western flank. So if, if, that's, if you're the Yorkist, that's your left flank. Mm-hmm. On the right flank, you know that at some point, your ally, the Duke of Norfolk, is riding with his cavalry, hoping to get there that, that later that afternoon. You hope he's coming to protect your right flank. Right. So you as a Yorkist are vulnerable. You've got less men, and you can be flanked on both sides. The Lancasters have the taller hill. Their right flank is protected by the river, and Norfolk isn't there yet. And so he's not going to be able to attack your left flank, at least not in maybe until the day is done, and hopefully you can, you can win the battle by that point. So Lancasters are in a pretty great position, and they've got more troops. Okay, so we all got the, ba- the battle in our mind. Yes. So Palm Sunday, the battle starts. Uh, oh, it turns out, you know, um, that night before when there was all that fighting and Falkenberg killed Clifford, um, Warwick himself also got a little bit injured that day, so he's like not leading the charge, but he's gonna he's gonna do something pretty cool in this battle. But he's kind of hurt. So um, there is uh, uh, when they wake up the next morning. Remember, it's it's around Easter time. The weather is miserable, <laughs> sleeting, blowy, snow, wind, sleet, hail, awful. So it looks awesome. It kind of looks awesome. You can't even. Uh, so if you imagine like. All you can see are like the blurred images of all of these different banners bearing all the different standards of maybe reported 100,000 men in the field, um, and you can't really hear anything. There's wind blowing. And the one thing that's going for the Yorkists is they have the winds at their back blowing due north. And so if you're the Lancaster army facing south, you are getting blustering wind blowing direct in your Mm. face. Blizzard winds in your face. So the Yorks then march. They send their archers to march north uh, against the Lancaster archers. And so the, the York archers are kind of like in this, not a valley, but they're down from the hill and they're shooting up at the Lancaster archers, but they've got the wind at their backs. So their arrows are actually mm. sailing real far and are hitting the Lancaster archers and the Lancaster archers would then shoot their volleys into the wind, and they weren't even reaching the, right. uh, the Yorkist archers. So Let's go. Yeah. So the Yorkists yeah. are just there launching their arrows, and then when the volley comes back, uh, one, one person I was I was. And they just send out a guy, go pick up the arrows. Yeah, well, right. You're exactly right. Am oh, I right? Yes. That's awesome. So That's what fantastic. happened was the, the Lancasters were shooting their arrows, and they were hoping that they couldn't really see anything, but they were hoping that they could hear like, oh, or oh, no. Uh, but all they heard was laughter mm. because the <laughs> arrows were landing like 50 yards in front of where the, the troops were. And so the, the, their arrows weren't even reaching the Yorkists because of the wind. And the Yorkists were going and picking up the arrows and launching them back at the Lancasters. Mm-hmm. And this went on for a while to the point where Somerset, who's the young 20-year-old commander, is realizing we can't just trade arrow for arrow because we can't even hit them. They're going to destroy my archers and then we're screwed. Right. So he does a thing he doesn't want to do, and that is he tells his men to march off their hill and go after them. By so, the way, who would they send to go pick up the arrows? You send the kids back with the sword, right? Yeah, you know they send the other like the, like, the junior archers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. go on, man. Come on, <laughs> just, 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 just run. You'll be fine. Yeah, you'll, be, you'll be good. Put the shield on your back. You'll be good. <laughs> um, so a lot of the archers from the Lancaster were decimated from this. It took a right. while for them to figure out. Hey, man, we're not even hitting them. 
And then as the Yorkist archers realized that the men-at-arms were coming at them, they, they you know, skadooshed back to, uh, you know, they ran back to their lines, back to the, the, uh, to the hill in the south. Um, and then so the Somerset, you know, was leaving his best position, and he was marching with his men down, and he met the Yorkists on their hill, and there was absolute fierce fighting. 60,000 men versus 48,000 men, yeah. just an absolute... Well, they probably whittled it a little bit with the whole ar- archery That's true, debacle. For sure. Now, Edward the Fourth himself was on the field, so the the standard of a of a of a English king was flying over the battle that day. Whereas the other standard of the English king was not flying because Margaret and and uh, Henry the Sixth were in York, true. and Henry the Sixth was on Palm Sunday. He was at church, and Margaret was like pacing the halls, wondering what's going on. Um, Somerset sends his horses uh, from the western flank to flank Edward the Fourth. So the horses that were, uh, if you were a Yorkist, mm-hmm. to your left yep. come roaring in and all of a sudden looked like uh, Edward IV's left flank was going to crumble. So Edward IV himself mounts his horse and rides towards the left flank and actually himself and his royal guard uh, uh, keep that flank from crumbling. And he himself is going into the battle and he left the center of the battle to uh, Warwick. Warwick... The rumor, other the legend has it, that halfway through the battle, Warwick got off his horse and killed his own horse to tell his men that he would not flee battle, even though he was wounded. So there's wow. a lot of oh, that's I know. so rad. So there's a lot of like famous paintings of like the Duke of of Warwick or the Earl of Warwick. I can't remember if he's an Earl or a Duke killing his own horse in the battle to uh, to tell his men that he's gonna he's gonna fight to the end. Did you finally get that fly? Maybe. Did you get it? I don't think so. Um. <laughs> So, fierce fighting of the men-at-arms together, Edward IV um, uh, protecting his left flank, and it, it is a, um, you know, just sort of this, this huge bloody massacre. And remember, on the eastern side is sort of open plains. Um, um, so, yeah, just these two, these two 20-year-olds who both have dead dads because of the other side. Just remember the Duke of Somerset and Edward IV uh, um, you know, are, have grown up in this, uh, this chaos and turmoil, and their own fathers have been killed, and this is the grudge match, and they're fighting each other. Okay. Um, nobody knows who's going to win. It was, it was back and forth, back and forth for hours. Um, the archaeological uh, discoveries at this actual battle of the, like, the bodies that were there were pretty gruesome. Faces cut in half, pole axes through heads. Like, this was no, this was no mercy. Edward IV himself had given the order that there was going to be, you take no prisoners. If you capture a nobleman, I don't care if he owns, like, all of the farms in Wales, like, you're killing him. He's not going to be ransomed. Everyone's going to die uh, in capture. And people knew this, and so it was desperate fighting. This wasn't like, oh, Johnny Good, you got me. I guess I'm, you know, like, like Owen Tudor, who thought was like, oh, Good job, lad. You got me. Well, I guess I'm going to jail. It's like, no, you're getting your head cut off, right? Like, um, this was desperate fighting. Okay. Is that out of line? Like, this is kind of unheard of, right? I mean, it was, it's, for these boys, it was heard of because all they know is their father's getting killed. But their father's generation, it was unheard of. Yeah. So for the old man in this, so probably for like old man Falkenberg, he was like, I don't like this, you know, this bloodshed of noblemen. But for the boys, for the young guys, like this is, you know. This is the new normal. And this feels like a little more equality because the guys on the ground are getting killed. Oh, yeah. The guys and in T-shirts are always dying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
But for the lords, this was, uh, yeah, this was... Kind of the new normal. This was a, this was a bloody civil war. So, uh, when it looks pretty desperate for the Yorkists, uh, Edward IV has protected his left flank, Warwick is holding the center, it's ba- fighting back and forth. Who shows up with his cavalry but the Duke of Norfolk? So he's there on time. So he's there on time. Good. And he then routes the Lancaster's uh, eastern flank. So if you're a Lancaster looking south, all of a sudden on your left hand comes an army of mounted horses. How did they not know he was coming? It was a big open plane. They 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 knew knew. it was coming. And so as soon as they saw him, they were like, F. They just weren't sure Um, if he was coming. They didn't know if if he was going to make it there in time. time. But eventually you could see him. And if you remember the the map in your mind, there is only two ways to escape if you get routed, which is what happened. You turn, you run north, which means you're running uphill against horses. That's not going to work. Or you run to the west into the river. Oh, no. And that is exactly what happened. You're going to get slaughtered by horses in the river. So the thing, so as Churchill points out, (laughs) that thing which was your friend, which protected your western flank at the beginning of the battle, ends up becoming your enemy because it it, it cuts off your retreat. And so Norfolk showed up, decimated the eastern flank of the Lancasters, they uh, break tail and or turn tail and run, and they run all the way to the river. Um, and um, and it's a sleeting outside. It's not it a sleeting it's not a outside. Uh, legend. So um, it ends up being known. Uh, the The battle ends up being known as the Bloody Meadow. Hmm. And uh, there are so many people who have tr- who try to swim in the river with full armor, trying to get across that so many men died that they actually created a bridge of bodies mm. and people were able to walk across the river over the dead men and they called it the bridge of bodies. And so some people escaped crawling over their dead uh, Lancaster brethren to the other side of the river away from Norfolk's uh, uh, soldiers, or Norfolk's cavalry. Um, and so it was known as the bridge of bodies. Um, so that was pretty nasty. Um, so here, here's uh, how Dan Jones uh, describes it at the end. Um, As the cavalry closed in on them, men threw off their armor and tried to wade or swim through the brisk water. Weary, wounded, or half-frozen, they drowned by the dozen, until eventually the beck was so dammed with courses that their colleagues could crawl to safety over what became known as the Bridge of Bodies. Oh, man. So, it ends up being an absolute Lancaster defeat. Um, uh, but Somerset escapes. Mm. And he goes off and he holds himself up in a castle in the north. So Somerset escapes and he's going to play a part later on. And um, the bloody, it is known as Bloody Meadow. And some peop- uh, uh, people have claimed that over 28,000 men died in that battle. Now, the, I was look- there was uh, some, I-, I looked up the population of England uh, during this time, and some estimates were that the popula- population of England was about 3 million people, which isn't very big, you know, but 3 million people. If 100,000 people took part in this battle, which, again, there was some French involved, and 28,000 men died in this battle, if you think about that in terms of percentage of population, it's insane. Yep. Um, One in every, what, 30 people yeah, were involved? It were involved in this battle. So it's just... Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of just sort of mind-boggling to think about this scale. Um, now, um, word comes back to Margaret that it's an absolute rout and uh, that Somerset is unaccounted for and he's escaped somewhere. 
and that all these Lancasters are killed and that your fearsome northern army has been destroyed by this new king, Edward IV. Um, and so... Um, you run to France? You, so you run to Scotland. Mm. And so she went and she got her little kid, uh, the, uh, Edward, Prince of Wales, and she actually had to go to the church and pull Henry VI from the middle of the service mm. to say, like, we got to get out of York right now. And he's like, but it's Palm Sunday. She's like, I don't care. We're out of here. So they run off to Scotland. And off they go, and um, their story's going to get awesome in a little bit. But anyway, um, so this was a massive victory for Edward IV. Queen Margaret's um, scary army is gone, and, um, uh, and, and this is sort of like a, sort of a new sun is rising on this Yorkish king. Um, for a couple of months... He, spends, he stays up in, in the north to uh, sort of clean up any of the last remaining troops. Um, and, uh, and then in May, uh, he comes back down south, and he is coronated with all of the pomp and circumstance of a coronation. So he's in. It's he's official. In. It is official. And later on that year, when Parliament convened, they, if you remember from last episode, one of the things that kind of got the old Duke of York all riled up and brought him back to England from Ireland was that Margaret was slowly using Parliament to chip away all of the lands and titles from the Yorkish allies. Mm-hmm. Um, in one foul swoop, uh, Edward IV reinstated all of those lands. Um, in, um, so um, Churchill notes that 133 nobles, one-third of all estates in England, changed hands mm-hmm. in an afternoon wow. because of an act of Parliament. So Edward IV... Um, basically took an entire one-third of the entire kingdom of England and changed the ownership from one side to the other in an afternoon. Like, this is just massively disruptive if you think about it. Right. Um, people got to move out. People got to move out. Uh, you, but, you know, if you're a peasant, it's like new boss, same as the old boss, right? right? Um, but if but you, if you're a boss, yes, I, yeah. did, did they have somewhere to go or did they just lose their lands and that's it? You lose your lands and that's it. And uh, a lot of them sort of kind of slowly moved north to maybe to try to muster up some kind of Lancaster support mm-hmm. or either you were just like maybe, you know, let's say you had the estate of Somerset and uh, Derby. Well, now you, maybe you just keep Derby and you give up Somerset so you go to Derby, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, now, so Edward IV basically had this massive victory. Oh, that battle, by the way, the Battle of, of Teuton, ended up being, it is still to this day the bloodiest battle to have ever taken place on British soil. Um, there were some pretty bloody English battles, uh, uh, you know, not in England, but that was right. the, blood, the bloodiest day of, of uh, uh, um, that island so far. Actually in England. <laughs> yes, it actually in England. Yeah, so, dang, man. Um, yeah, there was a lot of British soldiers lost at Dunkirk, I mean. but yeah. they were in France. Yeah. Um, so Edward IV um, basically... He now has like kind of, I, I wrote down he has sort of four things that he now needs to take care of now that he's a king and he's kind of taking care of the north. So let me tell you the four things. One, he has to kind of mop up any remaining Lancaster guys that are ag- against him. Can't have him agitating. Can't have him agitating. So, and Somerset is in some pretty, some pretty awesome fortresses in the north, and Margaret is also in some pretty awesome fortresses in the north. And if you keep them there festering too long, 
eventually Margaret's going to get a French army or she's going to get the Scots on their side or she's going to, you know, she's... You, you can't have a, like, random king. There's a king. It's like a cancer. There's you got to get rid of it. That's right. So you got Henry VI up there and Margaret and you got Somerset, your kind of enemy. They're up there. Uh, so you got to mop up. You got to deal with that. Number two, the king of France has died and a new hot-headed king is involved. And there's this new king and it's Louis XI and he seems to be completely capable... And, I mean, he's French, and he's related to Margaret. And so you kind of have to, like, open up some kind of negotiations with Louis XI and see where he stands. Is he going to be a bro or is he going to be against you? So you got the French to worry about. Mm-hmm. Number three, you're in a, you as a king are in a rough position. You've just had a civil war. And for all the accounts that we have, at least young Edward IV really wanted to heal the, the, the fissure between the Lancasters and the Yorkish, the Yorks. He saw that his dad attempted to do this back in the day, and Edward IV at least had some high-minded ideals that he did not want to come in and completely roll over all of his enemies. That's just a great way to make new enemies. But on the other hand, he had all of these guys that have just, like, risked their lives helping him, and they're going to want some treasure. They're going to want some favors. They're going to want to be in a position of power. And so Edward IV is in this unenviable position of being magnanimous to the defeated, but being generous to those who got you there, right? Mm-hmm. And so how are you going to square that circle? So that is a, that is a difficult position to be in. And so we'll, we'll look at that in a second. And then the fourth thing that you got to do as a young 20, 21-year-old king is what do you need? Uh, heirs. You need an heir. Yeah. You need a wife. And you need some kids. So these are the four things that Edward's got to do. So let's take them in order. Um, The first thing, he's sort of got a, um, uh, he's kind of, he's, he's got a mop up. Um, So um, Margaret ended up indeed getting help from Louis XI. So she appeals to Louis. They're both French. And she's like, hey, this like usurper to the throne uh, beat it, beat my my guys at uh, the Battle of of, of Tuton. I need some um some troops, and he's like, of course. And so he sends over uh, some troops, and she gets some Scots, and she ends up basically um, taking a bunch of fortresses in the north and holding up there. And it seems like she's sort of building rapport with the French and the Scots. And so Edward the Fourth is like, cannot have it. We got to get rid of this queen once and for all. So um, he goes and. Um, he, uh, so he goes and he has to assault three northern fortresses, uh, Boburg, Alnwick, and Dunstansburg, if you, if you care yeah, about course, the names yeah, of them. Naturally. But Henry IV has something cool that hasn't, that, w- that he tried using at the Battle of Teuton, but it didn't work very well uh, because it was so snowing and blowing that all it ended up doing was blowing off the hands of his own men. But he's got, s- he's got some cannons. Cool. Yeah. Wait, and they, they, they've already been in use. They've yeah. used some cannons. They don't work very well. You can basically like, lob a cannonball, but they're, no, they're not really good at it. But cannons are really good at shooting at a castle that doesn't move. Yes. True. So Better. So Much he better brought his cannons up north, and he started just basically blasting these fortresses to dust. He just, like, lets the cannons out there, and she doesn't have an army, so she can't run out and stop attack, him. stop him. So right. he basically just, like, fired cannonball after cannonball, day after day after day. And apparently... All of these cannons had, like, very charming names. And the smelters were like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yes, like, yes, the, yes. the cannonball maker was, like, so, you know. <laughs> Best uh, Raking yeah. in the cash. That's right. 
So he started destroying these castles. And in one castle was the Duke of Somerset. And in one castle was another guy named uh, named Percy, who was a northerner. And in another castle... <laughs> I just can't help think that the castle builders are giving kickbacks to the cannonball makers. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like, we well, yeah, built a castle. Here's a couple hundred yeah. dollars. Keep it um, and then in another castle was Margaret. So Somerset... Uh, sorry, uh, uh, Edward IV is like, all right, take them one at a time. First thing, he goes, starts blasting Percy's castle. Percy uh, surrenders and says, you know, I surrender. And he comes into the king's care doesn't know what the king's going to do with him. Goes and he finds Somerset, the guy he fought at the Battle of, of, of Teuton, the, who's <laughs> their, to, their two dads ended up dying in this conflict. He starts blasting his castle with cannons. Somerset surrenders and enters into Edward's care. <sighs> Who knows what's going to happen to Somerset? Um, and then he does the same thing with, uh, with Margaret and um, this castle and... Um, and, uh, and she escapes and she goes uh, to Scotland. Now, I can't remember if this is the point where she... No, this is not the point where, she, where, she, um, where Henry VI goes missing. We'll get to that point in a second. So her and Henry VI and, uh, and uh, little Prince of Wales, they leave and they go up to, um, uh, they go, uh, up to Scotland. All the castles are blasted apart. But now H- Edward IV has in his care and in his charge... Somerset and Percy to a lesser extent, but Somerset. What do you do? Do you cut his head off? Um, do you give him his lands back? Um, and so Edward, so, um, Edward IV was trying to figure out what to do with Somerset, and he had him in his camp, and they were traveling south to go back uh, to the south after you know destroying these castles. And it turns out, Edward IV and Somerset kind of became bros. Oh, great. Even though their dads were in the, in the other side of the conflict that kind of killed each other, Edward IV was like, you know what, Somerset? I'm going to use you as my prime example of being magnanimous and of, like, giving you some of your lands back, and me and you were going to be buddies. And Somerset's like, cool. I, I, and this for, for all reports were that Somerset and Edward had a lot in common. Mm. Their dads were killed in a war. Uh, they're both in their 20s. They're awesome warriors. They both like to lift. They both like to lift. They've led armies. You like Um, motorbikes? Me too. (laughs) They went hunting together. Um, Now, there was propaganda floating around uh, at the time that they uh, uh, shared a tent, if you know what I mean. Um, (laughs) And that may have been the case. We don't really know. It is not completely out of line with Edward IV's character, as we will see at the end of this episode. Um, But um, uh, Edward IV loved hunting. Um, He loved doing, like, you know, warrior boy mm-hmm. stuff. I think, yeah, AJ, you joking that they love to lift was not, you know, they, it not was true. And yeah. Somerset was into this stuff. And so they actually became buddies. And this, what, kind of, Warwick was not thrilled with mm-hmm. this. Um, and people were a little nervous. They're like, okay, uh, uh, Edward IV ended up giving lands uh, to Somerset. He gave some lands back to Percy and he was mm-hmm. being magnanimous. He was trying to be open and he was, and, um, and this rubbed some of his allies the wrong way. People would be like, my brother died right. fighting Somerset, and here you are, like, going hunting with him. Um, but um, uh, so, but for a period of time, for about a year or so, uh, there was, like, sort of this promise of peace and this promise of, like, bygones be bygones, and maybe there was this young, capable generation that could mend the wounds of the past, except... 
they're still the king. Right. Henry VI is still around, and Margaret is still f- uh, flitting about up north, and you have this Prince of Wales who has every single right to the throne that anybody else does, and, and um, you know, and you, like having two kings is a problem. So, but for this time, Edward IV and the Duke of Somerset were like broing down, going hunting, and Somerset was getting his lands back. This is great. Okay. Um, uh, 1463. So the ba- if you uh, so 1461 was the Battle of of Teuton. Okay. And f- by 1463, Margaret had been kicked out of her castles in the north, and she um, has. Uh, gotten uh, another fortress again, and she's now staking claims in the north, and she's building northern troops well, to get another she army under the king's care. Or what happened there? Did she not surrender? No, she escaped. She oh, escaped okay. to Scotland. Sorry. Yeah, sorry, Got she it. escaped to Scotland. Um, and she's up in the north, and she is now rabble rousing and getting another army together. And in 1463, uh, she has enough of a force that you gotta, you, you have to deal with this. And so. Um, and she's gonna get herself killed. I know. Edward the Fourth goes up with his with with some of his troops. He got his, he brings his awesome cannons again. He's like, all right, guess we're doing this again. And as he goes up north, the Duke of Somerset rebels oh, and wow. goes over to Margaret's side. No. And the Duke of Percy does the same thing. Wow. No. Yep. And um and this apparently absolutely just devastated yeah. Edward the Fourth. And he, he thought they were bros, right? He thought they were yeah. bros. We hunted together. Yeah. We killed deer together. Um, and this was sort of the last time that he really tried to be sort of a magnanimous ruler of bringing yeah. enemies over to the other side. Well, man, that um, mean if nothing else is going to jade you. I know. That'll jade you real this quick. Was, this, was, this one hurt. This, this one stung. And uh, so Somerset goes over to Margaret's side and there's some you know, skirmishes. There's no real big battles. And Warwick's like, I told you. I right. told you. Right. I told you this was going to happen. You, you can't li- align with the Lancasters. Uh, Warwick, you know, Warwick's this Yorkish through and through. Um, and uh, so Edward's, uh, he's just, just crushed. His best bro, bro uh, is now, uh, uh, you know. His um, enemy. Is, is now his enemy. And so he brings down the full force of his cannons on the last remaining stronghold, which I think was Alnwick. And at this point, um, Margaret is, uh, the, the, it is, it is so desperate that Margaret and the Prince of Wales and Henry VI have to go running off into the countryside, mm. just the three of them. And they barely escape. Um, and, um, so for Margaret, this is the last time she will be in... She's expelled from the UK. This is, I think, the last time she sets foot on English soil. She eventually makes her way to France. Mm. But it's, but um, this is actually really... In, and then Henry VI gets lost. Mm. In fact, for a number of years, no one knows what happened to him. He When, when he leaves the castle of... I think it was Alnwick. When he leaves it, um, he is like somewhere in Scotland and there's all the... No one knows what happens to Henry VI for a number of years. But he shows back up later. He shows back up later. Now... Um, and the Prince of Wales is, is off. Now, there are a number of really charming folk tales about Margaret and the Prince of Wales and Henry VI during this time when they get expelled from the castle and they're basically on the run. And this isn't like on the run with your ladies in waiting and all your knights and right. you have your tent and you've got all your fancy food. This is the clothes on your back, maybe a horse, your... You know, your your 10-year-old Prince of Wales, your kind of mopey-dopey husband, and you, the Princess of France, Queen of England, running through Scotland by yourself. 
So there are these charming... How does Scotland feel about this? Uh, they just love that the English are in, in chaos. <laughs> okay. So they actually, the, so there are a bunch of charming stories, uh, these folk tales. Um, one was that the king and the queen and the prince all had to survive on one fish for five days. Mm-hmm. And um, there's these chroniclers that tell all these stories. There's another story. Um, let's see. I think Churchill has it. Let me just give me a second to find it. Um, uh, there's another story where... Um, um, let's see. Yes. Um, so this is how, so Churchill makes a uh, reference to all of these different sort of stories that arose from like commoners who'd be like, Hey, you get out of my barn. Oh, it's the King of England. Right? <laughs> right. Like that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, so here's, here's how Churchill talks about it. Chastelaine, the Burgundian chronicler recorded her tales. Thus only has history heard how she, King Henry, and her son had lived for five days without bread, upon a herring each day between them. At mass once the queen found herself without even a penny for the offertory. She asked a Scottish archer nearby to lend her something. Somewhat stiffly and regretfully, he drew a groat from his purse. At the latest disaster at Norham, recounted the queen, she had been captured by plundering Yorkist soldiers, robbed and brought before the captain to be beheaded. Only a quarrel of her captors over the spoil delayed her execution. But there stood a Yorkist squire, and to him she turned, speaking pitifully, Madam, he said, mount behind me, and Monsieur, Monsieur, the prince in front, and I will save you or die, seeing that death is more likely to come to me than not. Three aback, they plunged into the forest, Margaret in terror for her son's life, on which her cause depended. The Yorkist squire now rode off. The forest was a known haunt of bandits, and mother and son crouched in its recesses. Soon there appeared a man of hideous and horrible aspect, with obvious intention to kill and rob. But once more Margaret, by her personal force, prevailed. She said who she was, and confided her son to the heir, uh, her son, the heir to the throne, to the brigand's honor. The robber was faithful to his charge. The queen and prince at last both reached the shelter of the fugitive king, etc. etc. So there's all these yep. like folk tales that arose in Scotland and northern England of like people who had these encounters of Henry VI and the queen while they were on the run uh, from Edward IV. I wonder how many of those are true. I don't know. But um, at some point, Margaret goes to France and she brings the Prince of Wales with her, her 10-year-old, mm. 11-year-old kid. And Henry VI ends up getting lost in Scotland. And no one really knows what happens. But he's um, happy. He just wants to be at church. That's the thing. So right. a lo- there, there's, a, there's some monasteries up north that said, yeah, he lived with us for a couple of years, and he took vows to be a monk. Um, there's other accounts, and the one that Shakespeare makes famous is he just sort of like wandered the Scottish dales, a king lamenting his fate and living this really sort of moderate uh, minimalist life living in like hovels and all these peasants would be like hey you crazy hermit who are you he'd be like I'm King Henry the sixth they'd be like oh he's a crazy old Jack again <laughs> who thinks he's the king of England right and like those sorts of stories yes. and it turns out he was the king of England now Henry the sixth tale is not done but he very much is a broken man all of this bloodshed 
all of this death and destruction, a, a king in rebellion. Well, he's like a gentle, pious he's soul. He's a gentle, anyway. pious soul, and everyone has died because of him, because of his inability to rule. Margaret is acting totally out of the interest of keeping her son alive and of regaining her power, and she's been defeated. She's in France. She's out. And once you're off the island, it's hard to get back on. And so she is, literally, she showed up at, like, a castle in, uh, where, I, in um, Anjou, maybe, her homeland. I can't remember. She, she basically shows up with her and her son and her clothes, like, starving. Right. Um, and so she's, you know, oh, yes, please come in. And so she's sort of, you know, living off the dime of this French nobleman who's like, well, I got the queen of France in my house. I guess, right. you know, got to feed her. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, and. We don't uh, want to go in down and recorded history as being like. The guy that was like, you know, you can live in the barn. Yeah, right. exactly. So she's well, be being, churlish. so she's there like plotting. What do we do next? How do we get back at England? How do we get the throne? I, my son. Edward, the Prince of Wales, should be the next king. He should be Edward the fifth, or he should be Edward the fourth. Not this guy, uh, not this Edward the fourth. So she's there, and then, um, and meanwhile, Edward the fourth is like, well, my best friend betrayed me, um, and there is a battle, and Somerset loses, and Edward the fourth has him beheaded. Yep. Um, so Somerset, his bro, he gets, he cuts his head, his bro off. There's a very, very famous uh, etching or painting of the beheading of the Duke of Somerset, and you've got Edward the Fourth in the background, looking kind of like stank face. The uh, one this is happening, um, and um, that last castle, the castle that Margaret was in and Henry the Sixth was in, and they escaped. That was the last sort of northern stronghold to get blown apart. And let me read a little bit about what was also going on in that castle at the time. This is also from Churchill. Um, So, um, Henry is off in the woods somewhere. We don't know where he is. Uh, Margaret is out of France. And so Louis XI now doesn't really have any reason not to have some kind of measure of truce with the English king. Louis XI is like, I have my own country to kind of fix. I've got the wolves to take care of. I don't want a capable king of England as a as a, a belligerent. So they kind of have this truce. And Margaret's like, no, no truce. And, she, and Henry's, Louis's like, doesn't matter, Margaret. Like, we'll fight that battle another day. So uh, your list of things to do. Mop up the north, done. Mm-hmm. Dealt with the French, done. Um, you tried to sort of... Uh, uh, Give some favors to your friends. Well, that kind of blew up in your face, right. but now you learn better, and so you killed Somerset, and, and so that's got to be taken care of. Uh, but yeah, sorry, I, I promised this last thing from Churchill. So that last castle to fall in the north was this. Um, <clears throat> with the fall of Alnwick, uh, only one fortress in the whole kingdom still resisted. Uh, this is sort of looking ahead a little bit. The castle of Harlech on the Western Sea alone flaunted the Red Rose of York. Harlech stood a siege of seven years. So there's this last castle that's standing while Edward's doing all this stuff. For seven years, it stood this siege. When it surrendered in 1468, there were found to be but 50 executive men in the garrison. So this is like the last Lancaster holdout. Mm-hmm. 50 dudes in a castle. Did the rest um, of them die from starvation? Like, what's oh, the... they, they held out. Um, with Jeez. two exceptions, they were admitted to mercy. So he killed, he let everybody be mercy except for two dudes. I can't remember who they were. Among them was a child of 12 who had survived the rigors of the long blockade. So there's this guy, this kid, 12 years old, in this castle, 
uh, for seven years while he's being besieged. Margaret's now in France. Edward IV is, like, consolidating his power, and he's been sitting in this castle, basically, like, the last Lancaster holdout from the War of the Roses, chilling in this castle for for seven years. He was the nephew of Jasper, the grandson of Owen Tudor, Mm -hmm. and the future founder of the Tudor dynasty and system of government. His name was Richmond later to be king, to become King Henry VII. Wow. So it was this kid named Richmond chilling in this castle for seven years, and when it fell, that was the last Lancaster holdout. So, like, the, the proper War of the Roses is done. No, it's not. <laughs> really? Yeah. How? Because that's not the, I mean, because... The Tudors have yet It's not rise. done. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't want to spoil it. I don't okay. want to tell you what yeah, happens. Sure. Yeah. And it has to do with what's going to happen next. That's going to be my cliffhanger ending. Sorry. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, so um, Margaret's out. Henry is in a monastery. Does Margaret he, ever come back or is she just sort of like donezo? She's not done, but she doesn't. I don't think she sets foot in England again, but okay. she's not done. Henry is wandering the dales. A, he's now a hermit king. He's probably having the time of his life. Yeah, he's probably sure. really enjoying he it. He is into it. He yep. is you know, a monk. Finally, people are leaving him alone. So he's he like, can, I can spend all day at church without being yanked out exactly. of there battles and nonsense. Yeah. Um, and um, Edward IV tried to be magnanimous, blew up in his face, and so he's like, fine, I'm just going to reward my guys themselves. And who is at the top of that list to reap all of the rewards? Who's the guy that, like, put him there? Warwick, right? Warwick. Yeah, Kingmaker. Warwick ends up, be, like, reaping the massive benefits. Warwick is the uh, uh, the, the biggest winner in all of this. He is, at, 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 when this is going on, he is the biggest landowner in England. He is massively rewarded by Edward. And, it, you it, know, it, rightfully so, I think. Right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. The Kingmaker. He risks so much all he the time. He risks so much all the time. Killed his own horse. Uh, yeah, Warwick's kind of a, a hoss. <laughs> It'd be funny if it was a negative of a horse. Yeah. <laughs> he's kind of lame um, anyway, and he's like, well, I might as well might just as make well. a gesture. Yeah. yeah. Um, it is now party time in England. Um, and so Edward IV is no longer giving lands to the Lancasters. The Lancasters can do whatever they want in the north. He comes down consolidating power. So he's mopped up. He's dealt with the French. He's giving his favors. It's party time chumps. And so he's, the, he's a king proper. He's a king proper. Yep. So um, here's uh, what Dan Jones has said about party time. His family shared in the spoil. Warwick's uncle, William, Lord Falkenberg, so that guy, uh, was raised to Earl of Kent, and John Neville was created Lord Montague. Um, uh, the Bishop of Exeter became the Bishop of York, a promotion he celebrated with a dazzling feast at which 6,000 guests retreated to several days of gluttonous roistering at Kaywood Castle in Yorkshire. More than 100 oxen and 25,000 gallons of wine were said to have been enjoyed in the presence of the king's youngest brother, Richard, Duke of Gloucester. Uh, uh, Let's go. What a party. The Nevilles had backed the Yorks all the way to the crown, and they received their thanks in dazzling abundance. So it is party time. Now, Richard, Duke of Gloucester, is the youngest brother. uh, um, And so he's there. It's unclear whether he liked the revelries or not. Uh, He will play a bigger part later. But Edward IV. All right, so what's the fourth thing on the list? You mopped up up the the northerners. You made peace with the French. You gave all of your favors. You're a young king. What do you need? Oh, babies. You need babies. You need a wife. And kids. Um, so but let's but talk you, about but Edward. You may IV have been sharing tents with dudes. Well, but, but, but that, Edward the Fourth was not raised to be a king. Okay. In fact, 
he uh, in, in no uh, some things we need to learn about Edward the Fourth. One, Edward the Fourth, um, he loved the bling, he loved the robes, he loved all of the fineries of the crown. Edward uh, Edward the Fourth uh, didn't really care about school and stuff, um, but well, there was one problem. Edward the Fourth was apparently super lecherous. The dude loved the ladies, all the ladies. Um, not just one particular. Not just one particular lady. Let me read what, uh, there was one Italian, um, there was this, uh, let's see if we can find it. Um, there was an Italian clergyman who came over on a tour of England during this time and met the king, Edward IV, and this is what he said about the king. <clears throat> um, so lo- lots of people talked about how lecherous Henry uh, Edward was. Apparently, like, he was kind of uncouth he would make, he would sort of like make really sort of dirty and inappropriate sexual jokes and innuendos during like parliament and stuff. And this is not what high-minded kings were supposed to be doing. He was, he wasn't lowborn, but dude was a bro who never thought he was going to be king. All of a sudden he's like, I'm rich. Uh, and I got late. All the ladies have to do what I say. This is awesome. Um, this is what the Italian said. Um, mm, the new king was, it was frequently said, a debauched lecher. He was certainly known in his time to be fond of women, and it did not always matter whether they were attractive or not. <laughs> Tongues wagged. The Italian clergyman, humorist, and scholar Dominic Mancini, who visited England to write a contemporary history and saw his subjects at first hand called Edward licentious in the extreme, and reported that the new king pursued with no discrimination the married and the unmarried, the noble and the lowly. Hmm. So, um, another person like said yep. um, the fact that such a talented and confident governor could also be such a gross man, so addicted to conviviality, vanity, drunkenness, extravagance, and passion. So, he is a warrior. He is a leader of men. He is wants to be magnanimous, but maybe the context of his day is not leading him to be able to be magnanimous. He loves the ladies, old ladies, young ladies, rich ladies, poor ladies, the attractive and the unattractive. It does not matter. Yeah, married, unmarried. If their eyes are turning towards the king, the king is going for it. Turning towards the bed. Yes. This and so, and for all of the nobles in charge, you know, this is a problem. Right. um, Because it's like, we need to, we need to marry, so we can't just marry this guy to like some you know, like dowry, unibrowed Belgian princess. Like, you know, this, he's not going to go for it. Um, uh, well, they didn't have Belgians back then. You know what I mean? Um, we, so this is actually going to be a problem. And this is a problem that Warwick is going to have to deal with. So Warwick's like, all right, we got to find our Randy King, like a, like a queen worthy of marrying. And uh, because he needs to consolidate power, he's got to get start heading kids. Except Edward IV was never... He was never trained of being like, you have to do this for the good of the kingdom. He was always like, it's been war. It's been conquest. All of the old ways have been shattered on the battlefield. Like, it's a new time. It's my time. I can do whatever I want. And there is going to be a not very noble, but very fast ascending family that is going to rise to power. And they are going to have this like sort of not very well-mannered, sexy daughter that is going to turn the eyes of our young King Edward 
and is going to absolutely just great at Warwick. And that is going to be our next episode where we talk about um, the rise of the Woodvales. She sounds like and the right match for yeah, him. Yeah, she's honestly. Right? She honestly ends up being the perfect match for him. It's kind of sad about what, everything that happens. Um, but you've kind oh, of got... no. So yeah, you kind of have to think yeah. about like... Um, uncultured British bro becoming king, being like, oh, you, lo- you boy, like, let's go, lads. Like, he's now in the, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, he's now in the throne. And you have to imagine that um, Elizabeth, w- um, Elizabeth, this girl who's coming in, she's equally as uncultured. And you got to imagine that she's a little bit of a, like, night on the town kind of girl. Uh, you know. Is she a full woo girl? She's maybe woo. a woo girl dressed too short. You know, she's a little. That's what a she, woo, woo girl's. It's what, the girls what? who in the party just got really. Um, Yeah, there's a little bit of that. And so we've now entered into this era of like um, the king kind of likes really gaudy, flashy things. Mm. He doesn't have taste. He's like all about the girls. Um, He's like a a rapper. He's like a rapper. But but there's also also been rumors about him in Somerset before he cut his head off, which maybe isn't unfounded. Maybe our king is just like, you know, he's just kind of open right. to all sorts of things. And, uh, by the way, to any rappers listening, many of you guys have impeccable taste. <laughs> Good. Okay. I think it's a so anyway, Good. and so um, you, this is, and so now Edward IV is needing to look for a wife and Warwick's got his opinions and Edward's going to have his opinions and that is going to be a problem and we will look at that problem in our next episode. Sheesh. Wonderful. All right. Well, this has been classical stuff. You should know. That was a, that was a good one. Oh, I mean, good. I always love these history good episodes. Stuff. They're Seriously. so so quality. Well, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email email us at theguysclassicalstuff.net. You can check out our website at classicalstuff.net. You can also patronize us at patreon.com. You can tweet at us at clssCAL stuff. You guys, are we on Threads yet? No. What's Threads? That's the Facebook. It's one, the it? replacement for Twitter. Oh gosh, no thanks. Um, Twitter has lost like half of its people. We're barely on. Twitter as it is. Yeah, that's, that's fair. But I'm just saying we might actually get the real name on threads. It's a good point. Because we don't actually have our real name on Twitter. It's true. Okay. Just a hint. Okay. Anyway, uh, yeah, check us out there. And we love that you guys are listening. As always, we, we love you. We love you. We love you. That's all. Bye.